Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. We're beginning this morning a series of sermons on Genesis. And so would you please open your Bibles up or look up on the Bible on the wall. We'll read verses 1 to 5 this week, Genesis 1, 1 to 5. Let us stand as we hear God's word. This is the word of God and it is eternally true. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There are many books of man. Many, many books of man. Wise Solomon says, Beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless. And excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. But when Solomon speaks this way, he's speaking of the books of man. He's not speaking of the book of God. And that is what scripture is. Scripture is the book of God. This is God's word. This is not the word of man. This is God's book. It is the word of God and it is eternally true. Man's books speak of man. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It's entirely referring to the life of man, Dickens there. But God's book speaks of God. It begins with God. In the beginning, God. And it ends with God. You saw the chapter near the end of Scripture, and as you get to the end of Scripture... What you find out is that all of us will come back to God. That it was from God that we came and that we will return to God. The world would return to God. As a matter of fact, Jesus speaks of God or I should say the Bible speaks of Jesus, who is God, as the Alpha and the Omega, and this is the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And so we could say Jesus is the A and Jesus is the Z. God is the first letter of the alphabet and he is the last letter of the alphabet. And here in our text this morning, we have the A, we have the Alpha. The beginning of all things, or rather I should say the beginner of all things. And that beginner is God. God's book begins with God revealing himself to man with these words, in the beginning God. Not in the beginning chaos, not in the beginning space and other intelligent beings, not in the beginning fate and chance, and the incredible luck of evolution. Not in the beginning progress. Not in the beginning money. But in the beginning God. Now so far I haven't been controversial. I think we would all say at this point that We're all on board. In the beginning, God. What's the sense of being in church if you don't think that God was the one in the beginning? And so what is your response to this revelation of God as the beginning of all things? Do you rejoice in it? 
Does it give you warm feelings and do you rest in it securely? Are you happy that God was there in the beginning? And then I say to you, be truthful and answer no. Our depraved minds and hearts would be quite content to be self-existent. Everything the academy does and says is proof of this. We are a proud race and would prefer to be self-reliant and self-referential and self-existent as we all are self-affirming. No man has escaped the fall, and the fall established that we were not content to begin with God. You remember what Satan said to us when he enticed Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. He said, Genesis 3, 5, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We would be as God. We would live as if he does not exist. We would sin as if he cannot see and will not judge. Ezekiel 9.9 says, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is very, very great. And so here we're talking about the church. We're not talking about the pagans. We're talking about Christians, we're talking about Protestant Christians, right? Because it goes on and says, the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah. So we're talking about Christians, Protestant Christians, Presbyterian Protestant Christians. And it says, the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is very, very great, and the land is filled with blood, and the city is full of perversion. For they say, the Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. The Lord does not say. We would sin as if he cannot see and will not judge. And then we are yanked back to the truth that anchors us to this green earth and to life and to eternity. In the beginning, God. Now, at this point, I was going to ask you whether or not you believe it, but then I thought better of it. And so instead, I'm going to say to you, it really doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It is the truth. Truth does not originate with man, with your puny mind, or with mine. God's wisdom is foolishness to man. Or rather, God has determined to make his wisdom foolishness to man. This did not escape God's notice. God knew that we would laugh at his word. And then God wrote it. We, God knows that if we were to rewrite this, we would say in the beginning man, or rather in the beginning us, or <laughs> in the beginning me. Right? Isn't that what every mother says to her children? In the beginning, me. And of course, our attempt to escape God is not due to ignorance. It's very important that we see this. We don't try to remove God. We don't think of him as blind, deaf, and dumb because he is silent because he has not left a witness to us. The whole world testifies to God, or rather, the entire universe testifies to him. Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night, showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. 
So you can't go anywhere on the earth. You can't see the Milky Way. Even in New York City, you can see the Milky Way. Even in New York City at night, you can see the Milky Way. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what the color of skin you are. It doesn't matter when you lived in the history of man. Day after day and night after night, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, you know that many people would deny this, right? Many people would say what the cosmonaut said in the Russian space program, I was up there and I didn't see him. And so how do you deal with moderns who are conceited and liars and who deny that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork? How do you deal with them? Do you make a pact with the devil and sort of act as if they're telling you the truth? Do you, do you in the interest of dialogue, do you, do you say, well, well, I know but, I know but, how do you deal with people that deny that the heavens declare the glory of God? How do you deal with those who deny in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? Well, you have to keep in mind Romans 1, beginning with verse 18. Listen to it in this context, in the beginning, God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. You know, a few years ago, well, I should just say that when you work in a university community, you constantly have a succession of people who come to you and say they don't believe any longer. And by this time in this church, you know, I could rattle off a bunch of names, all right? Had one recently, I don't believe. And you know, I've gotten to the point in life where I say, what's her name? Do you understand that? They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. This is God speaking, it's not me. But after a while, even I get it. I begin to realize that almost without exception, when people deny the revelation of God, the firmament showing his handiwork, the heavens declaring his glory, it's because they love their sin. Now that sounds really nasty in a postmodern world because, you know, what, what the text means, I, I'm sorry, that's my fault. <laughs> I was afraid that would happen some Sunday. Um, no, don't worry about it, just sit down, it's concrete floor. It's a great thing about a concrete floor. Um, it was my coffee that just spilled. Um, I know that it sounds very, very arrogant to say that people deny the existence of God because of their sin. Right? Somebody comes up to you and says, God doesn't exist, and God isn't glorious, and God doesn't do handiwork. And you look at them and you say to them, on the contrary, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows it. Well, if if you wanna, if you wanna, if you wanna, if you're such a little person that you, if if you wanna, you know, everything's subjective. Everything is personal. Well, you, well, you, but I, you, but I, you, but I, right? But you have to have Romans 1 in your mind. God has shown himself to everyone everywhere, regardless of their language, regardless of day and night. It doesn't matter. God has revealed to all men, to all women, himself. And then what has happened is they... And also you and I, we have suppressed the truth in our unrighteousness. Okay? And this is the reason why at the very beginning I said, does it give you warm feelings 
when you hear, in the beginning, God. And everybody's like, yeah. And I'm like, no. Well, no, actually, you're not like yeah. You're yeah, and I'm no. Listen again to Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who what? Who suppress the truth. Suppress. You know? (laughs) The snake's trying to come out of the hole in the ground. What do you do? You suppress it. Right? Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. So those who deny the existence of God, those who deny the holiness of God, the glory of God, are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. So this means that no matter what somebody says to you, the truth is evident within them. And so this is the reason why One day, sitting downtown at Malibu Grill for lunch, meeting with the diversity advocate for the, the, what's what's that school called? Can't remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, IU. Meeting with the head of diversity for for Indiana University, who was telling me that his homosexuality was not wrong, but was righteous, I said to him, you know that that is not true. Now, did I say that because I wanted to create a scene in Malibu Grill? No, no. I said that because I loved his soul. And he said, you're wrong. And I said, no, I'm not wrong. You know that homosexual practice is sin. And he said, no, it's not. And I said, what? I didn't say yes, it is. Did I? No. I said, you know it is. You know it is. You may not act as if you agree with the lies that people tell you as a Christian. The Apostle Paul didn't do it in a decadent age filled with homosexuality. We must not do that. We must not go along to get along. We must tell them, you know that that is not true. And it was very interesting. I said it, I think, three or four times in a row, right like this. And he got softer each time I said it. And then he said to me, you know, I have a sister out in, I think it was Iowa, and my sister tells me that I am going to go to hell if I do not repent. What was he saying to me? What he was saying to me was, you're right. I know you're right. And so why was he giving himself to sin? Just just a plain vanilla sin. There's nothing special about homosexuality, you know? There's just one more plain vanilla sin. So why was he giving himself to it? He was giving himself to it because he refused to worship God, to acknowledge God. He suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. It's just the oldest thing that there is for us. Okay? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that, what, they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, notice this, they knew God. This is a categorical statement, universal, they knew God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
So they would not honor God or give thanks to God. They knew him. They would not honor him. They would not give thanks. And so they became futile in their speculations. Their speculation, 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 right? And it became futility, right? And their foolish heart was darkened. And so God gave them up to futility, to foolishness, and to darkness, Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. In the beginning, God... The heavens declare the glory of God in the firmament. There's no place that the language is difficult for God to speak to us. They knew, they suppressed, they would not give thanks to him. They wouldn't honor him as God. And so God gave them over to speculations that were futile. God gave them over to foolishness. God darkened them. And then God gave them over to to their dirty passions. And every time I open the Bible, I think, could God please give us some ambiguity? Could we please have something that's just, just a little difficult, something that needs a special kind of spectacle to read, you know? Could, could we go back to Mary Baker Eddy and the science and life and the key to the scriptures? You know, could, could we have a Gnostic something? Could we, you know, could we have a Urim and Thummim? Could we have uh, a potion? Something, something to mediate the tension between who we are and who our loved ones are and the Holy God. And that is an idol. That's the very definition of an idol. And so what do we do? Well, we create diversity and pluralism. We create relativism. We create scientism. We create all kinds of ideological. We're not so much into the things made by our hands that we bow down to, except the IU flag at IU basketball games. But generally, we're not really big into physical things. We're into head trips, you know? We don't really want to have sex with a woman. We want to have sex with a picture of a woman. We're not materialists in that sense. And so we come up with all these different idols that we sacrifice our unborn children to, you know, self-determination, feminism, uh, educationism. You know, we can't have a baby now because, you know, perfectionism, the woman running for governor of the state of Texas, you know, her biography's coming out and she killed two of her unborn children and she tells us she killed one of them because he seemed to have a genetic defect in his mind and, and she says that she wanted to protect her child from suffering and so she killed her child. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of spankings that Taylor wouldn't have gotten if I just killed him. Now, you might be angry about that, saying, how could I trivialize the suffering of a child with a brain defect? I'm not trivializing it. I'm telling you, if you want to avoid the veil of tears, which is this life, there is a way to do it, and that is to kill yourself. And it's against the law. And that's something. Think about that. And so, God has revealed himself. God has revealed his wrath. God has revealed his knowledge. God has revealed his glory. God has revealed his handiwork. God has revealed his holiness. And those who will not honor him as God, those who will not worship him, and his holiness. Move on to suppress the truth, to deny the truth, and then God gives them over. And that's who you and I are.
That's why in the New Testament it refers to us as all of us formerly were prisoners, slaves of our lust. It's very interesting there that it says all of us. Right? And it's speaking to Christians. And you know that if you go to the end of Romans 1 and get to the first of Romans 2, it says, okay, you judge them, what about you? Do you do the same things? And so holiness is no respecter of persons. The need for repentance is not outside the church, it's in the church. It's very interesting how much Scripture is filled with statements about God's revelation of himself. Not through Scripture, but through nature, through the world, through the things that exist, through the testimony of the Spirit in our hearts. And we find, I think, the best one for Bloomington in Acts 17. Because here the Apostle Paul is in Athens, and Athens is the most conceited city there has ever been. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, um, maybe Bloomington is. Um, but certainly Athens is the city that everybody who is conceited points to as the greatest, you know, the greatest seat of learning that there's ever been. A- Athens is the academy to end all academies, right? So the Apostle Paul's there and he's going to preach to these world-weary intellectuals. We read that they spent all day, every day, discussing among themselves what was the latest truth. All right, so, so, so that's the context. And here's what the Apostle Paul says to them. He says, For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So they were so religious that they even... They even covered all their bases by having an altar to a God that they might have not known about, right? To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, not just the things that you and I deal with because we're Westerners or Northern Hemispherians or, you know. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. You know, it's very interesting when you read accounts of the end of the Iron Curtain in Russia, Soviet Union. Very interesting how much testimony you read there of people who know God. That in the midst of the, of, the, of the most wicked government, suppressing truth to a level almost unheard of in history. That through all these godly people, being godly, behind the Iron Curtain. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And then this famous statement that all of us, probably almost all of us know by heart. For in him... We live and move and have our being. In him, we live and move and have our being. And this is the testimony of a Christian to the sophisticated philosophers of Athens. In the beginning, God. Remember how I asked you at the beginning, does this make you feel warm and and cuddly? In the beginning, God. And we all think it does. Because after all, this is a private religious ceremony where there aren't any pagans, right? And so all of us here are very happy that in the beginning, God, right? Not in the beginning, you and me. Not in the beginning, Carl Sagan or Albert Einstein. Not in the beginning, Socrates or Plato. 
and certainly not Sean Hannity or Al Sharpton. Not Peyton Manning or LeBron James. And not Muhammad or Confucius or Vishnu or Buddha. What God says is, Psalm 96.5, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. In the beginning, God. Now, man does wish that it were not so. Man would like to be rid of God. Man dreads death and God's judgment, and so he would spend his life repudiating and forgetting God if he could. But there are the heavens declaring the glory of God. There are the heavens declaring the righteousness of God. Psalm 97.6, the heavens declare his righteousness. And all the peoples have seen his glory. The heavens declare his righteousness, not just his glory. It's one thing for us to deepen the inner recesses of our mind, to have it in our mind that everybody we talk to knows the glory of God from the heavens. But the heavens declare his righteousness. And that gets more difficult for us, doesn't it? The great Reformation leader and father of the faith, John Calvin, preached through Genesis. And He did what is normal, which is he started at the very beginning because it's a very good place to start. And I got to tell a story on Tabitha. Where are you, Tabitha? Where's Tabitha? Oh, she's in the children's church. I think it'll be okay to tell the story. So I had this pile of commentaries I want to have copies of because I don't like to mark commentaries. I like to mark pages, so... Here's Jody's Sermons of Calvin, and I have it marked up, and Jody's book is clean, you know. And so she was copying this stack of commentaries, and she copied, must have been 10 or 12 of them. And then she had one set to the side, and she said, this commentary doesn't have anything on Genesis 1, 1 to 3. And I opened the commentary up to the back, and I said, actually, it does. I said, this is the Jewish commentary, and so it starts at the back and works to the front. <laughs> because Hebrew reads from right to left. And, and I said, oh, I should have thought, well, no, you shouldn't have thought of that. Who would ever think of that, right? <laughs> you know? Calvin's starting at the very beginning. And then we go to his sermon on Genesis 1, and then we go to the first words of his sermon. The first words of his sermon on the first book of the Bible, the first words of the Bible. And this is what Calvin says. Even, (laughs) that's not a very auspicious word to begin with, even. All right, even what, right? That's what you're thinking. Even though, now that's an interesting way to begin your first sermon on Even though men maliciously, even though men maliciously try to obscure God's glory, even though men maliciously try to obscure God's glory, it is certain they cannot open their eyes and look in any direction without seeing evidence that leads to knowledge of him. Knowledge they would flee and would like to bury completely if they could. Now, come on, people. Come on. May I reword that according to every other pulpit in our country today? This is how every other pastor, including I, would say it if I hadn't read Calvin. You want to hear it redone according to our pathetic age? Here it is, all right? And this is why we're not having a reformation today. Men cannot open their eyes and look in any direction without seeing evidence that leads to the knowledge of God. Full stop. Right? You all know that's what we want him to say. But that's not what he says. 
Here's what he says. Even though men maliciously try to obscure God's glory, it is certain they can't open their eyes and look in any direction without seeing evidence that leads to knowledge of him. Knowledge they would flee and would like to bury completely if they could. (laughs) Now that's helpful. That's helpful because that's what you see everywhere in your life. And you want to live truthfully. You want to live honestly. And then Calvin continues and he says this, of our, now notice, we've gone from they to us. Our, all right, now, we're, now it's first person, okay? And he's speaking to Christians, right? He's preaching to a church. And he says, of our own will, we try to confine the light when it appears and seek out the darkness to plunge ourselves into it intentionally. We would prefer never to have heard of him. And that's helpful. That's helpful. That's me. Sin flies from me as the sparks fly off the muffler dragging on the road. Okay? This is true, and the honest and humble and meek man and woman will confess this, his own depravity, her own depravity. We will confess it to God, and we will ask to be healed of it. This is who we are, and we take it to God. Why did we need the blood of Jesus? Because this is true. In the beginning, God, and our hearts will never be at rest until we close with him. I'd say hug, but it's such a, but that's what it means, until we close with him, okay? Until we acknowledge him, until we repent to him, until we glorify and worship him, because in him we live and move and have our being. Truth is, in him all creation and the universe itself lives and moves and has its being. And then we come to the second half of the verse, which is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not in the beginning God existed, but in the beginning God created. Now, this word created in Scripture always has reference to God, not man. Man makes. Right, Daniel? Man is a maker. Yeah, he is. He's a maker. That's why Legos are so popular. Man is a maker. God is a creator. In the beginning, God created. Now, dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, how are we doing with this one? You remember I said, how are you doing with the first one? In the beginning, God. Now I'm asking, how are you doing with the second one? Created, the heavens and the earth. How how are we with that one, right? Huh? Go down easy? Do we like to talk about it with our friends? Do we like the letters to the editor, the blog posts, and the FB, the Facebook thingamabogies that talk about God's creation of the world? Do, does this sort of Christian talk make us feel hip and young and trendy and smart? Well, you know something, it was the same at the time of Calvin half a millennium ago. 500 years ago. Saying that God created the heavens and the earth is stupid now, right? Everybody agree? It's stupid, stupid, or as my wife would say, hooping. It's stupid now, and it was stupid then. Speaking of our need to, Calvin uses the word quell, which means to suppress our, he says, pride and presumptuousness in order to learn the truth He says this. Now listen, this is Calvin again, that same sermon. Now, in the first place, if men wish to cling to their knowledge and judgment, it will be incredible to them that the world was created 6,000 years ago. For what was God doing throughout all eternity? 
In fact, shallow and imaginative people will never understand what the Holy Spirit gives witness to because they will always have their own answers. Now listen, people. This is really off-putting what he just said. You know why? Because he put in juxtaposition two words that we think are absolutely an oxymoron, right? We would never put together the words shallow and imaginative. Why? Well, because all, as Chesterton says, all the modern talk of, of what is progressive and new is merely a giggling excitement over fashion. And so that giggling excitement is the center of our economy, it's the center of our scholarship. It's the center of the church. Have you watched how quickly Tim Keller came and went and now how quickly Mark Driscoll is going? <laughs> Listen. Shallow and imaginative is a pair to Calvin 500 years ago. Why is an imaginative person shallow? Well, because an imaginative person is giving himself to vain imaginations in opposition to the truth of God. And you know something? That is always what's going on with us. We are never content with the old paths. We are never content to follow somebody who is calling us to the past. We always want to be au courant. We always want to be hip. We always want to be young. We always want to find somebody saying it in a way that I can agree with it. And we simply are incapable of conforming ourselves to those who have gone before us. And I hope that you learn that when it comes to the things of God, it is the shallow people who are imaginative. This is so true of you and of me. We always have our imagination, our vain imaginations, and we always have our smart answers. He says because they will always have their own answers. And this is why you discipline your children when they give you a smart answer. You smack them. You spank them. You rebuke them. You admonish them. You don't want to raise a child that has his own answers. In the beginning, God created. God created the heavens and the earth, which is to say all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And I'm just quoting John chapter 1, verse 3. All right, so what about evolutionary biology? What about cosmologists? What about astrophysicists? And what about philosophers? Do they live in a parallel universe made by themselves? Do they live in a parallel universe of their own truth that has been made by Gaia or by Mother Earth? Or by evolutionary forces? Can their great smarts help them escape God? Well, again, let's go to the old paths. Here's Calvin from 500 years ago. Okay, Here's what Calvin says 500 years ago. He says, in this we see men's enormous disposition to evil. For those who are called philosophers, that is, those who think of themselves as wise enough to teach everybody else. Did you guys all get that? I'm going to read it again. I'm not sure you got it. In this we see men's enormous disposition to evil. For those who are called philosophers, that is, those who think of themselves as wise enough to teach everybody else have tried insofar as they can to destroy the article of our faith that says God is the creator. So philosophers have done everything they can to destroy God as creator. All right? 
they have conjured up the most obtuse and absurd things a human could utter to resist God's majesty. And they are unable to contemplate his glory, which ought to be evident as it displays itself so plainly before us. It's so obvious what they're doing. They come up with the most obtuse things. It's like ridiculous the things they come up with. Then he says this. He says that is why they prefer, and, and Calvin puts in a parenthetical statement. He doesn't usually do this. He says that is why they prefer, I am not joking, That is why they prefer, I'm not joking, I kid you not, to say that the world came together by chance and that there were tiny objects tumbling around that the sun used to build the moon and the stars and the earth, the trees, and even men. Could anyone think up a scenario more stupid than that? This is Calvin. And then he says, so let us pay close attention to this word create and be armed against all diabolical illusions. And let us be steadfast in resisting them. Listen, people. Oh, man. After the first service, my dear, dear brother Andrew Henry came up to me in the hallway. And he said to me that I really ought not to set up a conflict between science and and Christian faith. Because he said, the greatest scientists have been Christians. And I said, I know. And he said, "But, but, but what you said is that we have to choose between science and God. And I said, yes, we do. But the greatest scientists have been Christians. But you know, Andrew's not stupid. And so Andrew understood what I was saying, but he was trying to get me to see that I was feeding the latent or the out there and loud slothfulness intellectually of all of us. So that we think that you have to choose between the intellect and God, you have to choose between science and God, you have to choose between reading your homework assignment and God. Because it's pious not to read, not to think, to shut off your mind. And I said, but but Andrew, okay, I'll stop my sermon and I'll hedge it all around. You know, I'll say, now, of course, I love science. And some of my best friends are scientists. (laughs) You see the bind... A man is in who preaches God's word in a postmodern society. What am I supposed to do? I'm always supposed to flatter you? Always tell you, the scientist, that of course you don't need to worry about this because you're a real scientist and all the others are scoundrels. (laughs) And Andrew, yeah, I see the problem. I don't know how to help you. And so I've given you the discussion, and now hopefully all of you who are real scientists know that I'm not judgmental or arrogant or proud, or, or at least at that point I'm being very reasonable, even though I am arrogant and proud. Okay. But did you notice what Calvin said? Calvin made a categorical judgment of philosophers. Do you hear me? Was Calvin a philosopher? Calvin must have been a very stupid man who didn't give himself to the life of the mind and who didn't know the meanings of words. Right? You see, postmoderns are so conceited that they think that everything is personal. They're narcissists. They're solipsists. Everything is personal. Everything is me, 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 me. And so if you ever make any statement that violates the personal space and ego of an individual, it's like, Pastor, you better get, you better get busy and clean that mess up you just created. And so this is the reason I read Calvin to you all the time, because would you please, as Doug Wilson said to me this last week, put on your big boy pants.
Would we please live outside of ourselves long enough to hear, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They suppress the truth. Therefore, God has given them over to darkness. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about God. And until you begin to live outside of yourself, and it used to be a good thing, ecstasy, which means ek out, Stasi stand to stand. It used to be a good thing. Praise of folly by Erasmus in the Middle Ages. It was in praise of ecstasy. It used to be a good thing to stand outside of yourself. But no postmodern person has any clue to live outside of yourself. It's all about me. So I read in, in, in the new criterion this last week a joke. Here's the joke, right? You know, does everything have to be about you? Well, you know, does everything have to be about me? Well, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? <laughs> Listen, you're never going to be any use, never, to God until you begin to think large thoughts about God and little thoughts about yourself. You can't witness to God as long as you're worried about what people think about you in a postmodern culture. That's the whole point. Postmodern culture will keep you like a dog chasing its tail. And God has no space when it's all about man. In the beginning, God. You must be a witness to God. If you waste your time trying to show people that you're sensitive and gentle and humble and, and, and the minute you do that, you're going to deny dogma, deny doctrine, deny truth, deny absolutism. You're going to start talking about your values. And the minute you talk about your values, you've tipped the hat to the new revolution. Your goose is cooked. You bought the farm. It's all over. You're useless. You've lost your salt and you've lost your light. So that's my long response to Andrew. I know what people are thinking when I write. I know what you think while I preach. Not all of you, but I mean, we're pretty predictable. We'd like to think we aren't, but look at how many guys used to go around piercing themselves and wearing black and, and listening to headbanger screamo emo. You know, you can't explain that except herd instinct. <laughs> right? You with me? And so, listen, get out of yourself and give glory to God. Give glory to God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe it? Now notice, I'm not asking if you love it. I just want to get you to say you believe it. Do you believe it? Then witness to it.